This time on No Not the Mind Probe, episode number seven, fixing the past. No, I, I want to go back. I want to go back in time and fix how I said that, John. Episode number seven, changing the past. No, no. Episode number seven, the past. Let's fix it, all of us together. No, you know what? The way I had it first, I should have. I shouldn't have changed it. Just back to what it was. Episode number seven, fixing the past. There, everything is back as it should be. Whew. Caused a little time rift there. Did you feel that? Feel that rift, John? Yes. That little rift in time. You also killed Hitler during that monologue, so that's, that's gonna. I feel like that's gonna cause a problem. Welcome to no. Not the mind probe. Mm. If you've recognized the mind probe and you haven't seen it for years, yeah. <laughs> uh, a podcast where we watch and rank every single Doctor Who story ever. My name is John Grant, and I am a lifelong Doctor Who fan. I've been watching it for 35 years. My name is Porter Mason. John's been asking me to watch Doctor Who for 25 years, and I finally said yes. And actually, John, I thought your reading sounded more like. You just found out the mind probe died. No, not the mind probe. I thought, I thought it was a little more of that. <laughs> Each episode of NNTMP, which is a lot of the probers now are using the acronym. So, okay. and you can just say NTMP also. That's an mm -hmm. easier mm -hmm. way to say it too. Each episode of NTMP, we'll look at two stories. We're going through the new Doctor Who series, which started back up in 2005 going through an order and then our doctor who curator john will pair the new story with a classic story john what do we have this week this week we are messing with history uh so we're going to start with the new series episode the the billy piper rose tyler tour de force father's day uh and we've paired that with going all the way back to season one uh the first doctor episode a true classic the aztecs all right, we're going to recap these things. We're going to start with The New Who, the episode Father's Day, the season one, the episode number seven, uh, the series, the new series. This aired on the 14th of May, 2005, back in the second term of the Bush presidency. Mm -hmm. And we have a little clip here, John. I believe we brought a clip. I'm going to play that. I never read you those bedtime stories. I never took you on those picnics. I was never there for you. You would have been. But I can do this for you. I can be a proper dad to you now. It's not fair. I've had all these extra hours. No one else in the world has ever had that. And on top of that, I get to see you. You're beautiful. How lucky am I, eh? So, come on. Do as your dad says. I'm gonna need a minute. I'm it's gonna need a couple minutes. High drama. Very, high very drama. emotional episode. Uh, but let me let me break down what happened in the story, and then you can focus you can focus on my failures to to accurately remember this. That's what we do here on No Not the Mind Probe. <laughs> Yeah, Focus we dress down me. Oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. First, we hear Rose Tyler, our 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 own Rose Tyler. We we know her in lover, recounting her memories of her father, whom she never really knew because he died when she was a baby in a hit and run accident. 
She wants the doctor to use the TARDIS to take her back to let her see her father. She doesn't necessarily say meet him, but she wants to see him before he died. The doctor, already reluctant about this, but he agrees and he warns her that, for one thing, it just might not be what she thinks. They travel to her parents' wedding, which is clumsy and not as it's been described to her, but but still cute. And then Rose asks to go to the actual moment that he dies because the detail that she knows about the story is that it was a hit and run so he dies alone on the street after the car hit him and by the time the authorities arrive he's gone she doesn't want him to die alone so they show up they see her dad rushing to meet her mom and baby rose at a friend's wedding he's hit by a car rose just wants to be there because he's going to be alone so she just wants to be there with him while he's dying and be alone with them she kind of can't bring herself to do it so the moment passes and he's 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 dead and then other people rush over so she asks the doctor for a do-over and this time oh no she runs out and saves him from being hit by the car causing all sorts of paradoxes and time weirdnesses and again as aforementioned in the show hitler was probably killed which Mm -hmm. we think is a bad thing no a good thing i really uh, i'm all over on this it's right he might have been driving the car which was weird hitler could we never really fully see the person (laughs) in the car the doctor is really pissed um rose spends start starts to spend the day with her dad now but she she's she's overjoyed and as we'll mention repeatedly throughout this episode billy piper just does a great job of really emoting It, it feels real she's spending the whole day with her dad who is everything she was told, but she, with kind of a disappointing dose of reality on top of it. He is very clever, but he's also caught up with get-rich-quick schemes, and he's clearly never really not like headed for success or anything like that. He kind of gets in his own way. The Doctor and Rose uh, fight about the foolishness of, you know, changing the course of history, and the Doctor storms off claiming to be leaving her which we know is sort of an empty threat but he i mean he's very upset he's very upset (laughs) she's too attractive um although you actually said that dump him (laughs) right you also you did say that there have been moments where not quite like this but that the doctor essentially does strand companions off in time and space so (laughs) wouldn't put him past him so uh Rose and and Pete, her father's named Pete, I forgot if I said that, they go to the wedding and we start to see that weird things are happening. So on the way, for example, people seem to be disappearing. That's sort of dramatic irony. I don't know that they noticed that yet, but we see that and their weird flying baddies are eating these people. They definitely don't see that quite yet. But she notices that there's modern songs playing on the radio. There's a song by The Streets, which is an English uh, rap group that's playing in the 80s, which doesn't make any sense. I did not know that. Um, Her phone is playing the sound of the first telephone call from Alexander Graham Bell, which I thought was a funny, weird thing. The wedding itself is almost Watson, come here. I need you. Right. The first thing that was transmitted over telephonically over wire. The the wedding itself is almost empty because a lot of the guests have been eaten, which I've had a wedding that happens. I mean, you have to plan for that. Yeah, you have to you roll know. with it. Yeah. You, got, you got to go with that. Yeah. Um, Pete arrives and Rose now also sees her parents fight. She always imagined them so in love and they're really, you know, at each other's throats. Like you really get the sense that had this marriage lasted a month more, they'd have just been divorced. <laughs> um so the doctor returns to try and save them because he's started to notice this too. And he's noticed the monsters who are now closing in on the chapel. Um, and they're actually there and 
start picking off wedding guests. I believe the father of the bride or the parents of the bride or, or, or the groom of the bride. They hu- everyone huddles inside the inside the church. There's a lot that happens for the rest of this episode, but I'm going to go through it fairly quickly, which is that like the monsters are eating people left and right outside. The car that was meant to hit Pete is just in an endless loop. So we see it early on and then Pete starts to see it and others that this car goes through a little time rift and goes right back out on the street and just kind of going around the block over and over, never fulfilling its destiny. Yeah, it's like looking for parking in any major city. Really. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> just circling endlessly through a time rift. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, trapped inside and at a total loss for what to do, which is fairly scary. They don't I don't know like how much it lands on certainly the other people there. I'm not sure how much it really lands on Rose. That might be the only thing that I you don't see enough. Like the doctor is at a loss, which, which is sort of a scary thing. <laughs> um, he is able to recall the TARDIS, which is outside the chapel. He's able to recall it inside and starting to cook up a plan about how he might do something here rose's parents figure out who she really is and briefly as they're doing this baby rose is handed to adult rose which causes another rift in time and causes one of the flying baddies to appear within the church killing the doctor um pete realizes that he was meant to die like he he, he's seen this car and he kind of puts it together based on some of the things that rose has been saying and it's the moment that we heard where he's telling her that He's going to set things right by actually getting killed by the car. It does set things right. The doctor and others are restored. And Rose does run to be with her dad as he lays on the ground dying. So she ends up getting her wish. So a lot happened, but that's basically what happened at the end. Um, very, very touching episode. And it, as as again, we'll say repeatedly, Billy Piper. They all do a great job, but Billy Piper and her dad and her mom um, do a great job in this episode. But John, um, anything details-wise that I missed? Uh, no, I think you did fairly well. Um, so, um, <clears throat> I mean, one thing, the Doctor definitely comes across as not knowing what to do. Um, but at the same time, it be, it's kind of a throwaway line, but Pete mentions that he, the Doctor's known all along that he had to die. All right, so the Doctor did know that the solution was for Pete to die, but was trying to find another way to, to deal with it, I think. Um, and uh, he just and, knew Rose couldn't handle it or just was trying to give her a yeah. wish somehow, or I don't know. I mean, you know, the, the, the sort of remit of the series, you try to avoid the doctor throwing people in front of cars as, as a solution <laughs> or in va- to the problems. It's, or in vats of acid. Yeah, that's, of acid acid, that's fine. That's cool. Uh, but throwing them in front of cars, less so. Um, uh, no, uh, it's uh, um, uh, the other thing uh, that was, did you catch? Um, the little boy uh, is Mickey. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which, uh, so that was, I wanted to actually talk about that. Um that was sort of a little much, but was more interesting to me, like that that needed to be there. But the detail I thought that that then brought up was uh, Jackie saying, or Jackie implying that she essentially sort of raised Mickey as as uh, like she watched this kid, which is really interesting. So I mean, he really is like a son to her um, already. Yeah, clearly been around for a while, and then she makes a comment about him. You know, oh, he's I pity whatever girl ends up with him because she'll cling <laughs> <Right>. to her. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was an interesting little detail. Um, this is a, this is a story by Paul Cornell, who uh, was another one of sort of the Doctor Who fan um, fan glitterati, I guess. Who was a writer? He wrote um, some of the new adventures of the books that were uh, like we talked about in an earlier episode. The books that. Um, were written when the series went off the air uh and um his his stories are all kind of light as he definitely is interested in the characters and the emotional side of things um he also writes for like 
soap operas, which you can pretty much tell <laughs> um, from the <laughs> you know, from the dialogue and the story. Um, I mean, I, I will say, I think, I think it's, um, uh, I think it's pretty well done, uh, given that it is melodrama. Uh, and uh, you know, I think, I think when I originally watched it, I remember tearing up a little bit, which is unusual for Doctor Who. That's certainly, I mean, obviously, when Peter Davison got thrown into the tank and Turlo. <laughs> pronounced right. him dead instantly yes. that, that i brought a lot of tears as well but i think we all had to press pause <laughs> on britbox then and just like take a moment yeah he, he could be dead and turlo's grief overwhelming grief was clearly when brought you in move on um, you just gotta move on <laughs> it's over um yeah i think uh um i I do, I do think watching it again that uh it was a little pete accepts I grant you it's a 50-minute story. Pete accepts that she's his daughter from the future pretty quickly and works it out, Yeah, I thought, very – I mean, you know, and and they try to give it a rationale. But, like, I've given people the keys to my car before, and I've never turned around and been like, I just handed you my keys – are you possibly my child from the future? (laughs) Here's what I kind of write that off to and what I bought is he figures it out in the midst of crazy things starting to happen. And so – like making a leap like that feels a little bit more like uh, believable in the sense of there's huge monsters and people are getting eaten and there's a car running around. I don't know that he'd seen that yet, but yeah, I, but I, I agree. I mean, you know, sure. But I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, how long would it really, you know, again, has anyone ever been in that situation? Like, we don't know how long it would really take. We don't you know. To yeah. yeah. You just I don't, don't have know. any idea. Um, you know, you're, you're supposed to write what you know. And I, I, I fault Paul Cornell for not waiting for this to happen. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this, is, this is cultural misappropriation of the worst kind. Um, I think, um, uh, I think, um, I also, I, I was thrown by, maybe I don't like babies. That's also a possibility. But I, I was yeah. a little th- thrown by, if, would you touch yourself wait let me phrase that would you if you saw your younger baby self would you be i'd be kind of freaked out about like here hold you <laughs> right i wouldn't be compelled to pick up the baby of yeah. me i would be yeah. freaked out by it they were sort of putting her in her arms but i but i agree her reaction was to be like oh and welcome it and and yeah i agree that i don't think i would have some instinct to go near my own self as a <laughs> right. baby Something is weirder, like in general, you know, you would sort of have this aversion to saying, oh, that's me in time. I shouldn't do that. But even more so for some reason with a baby. I don't know why, but I agree with you that like myself as a baby is even <laughs> weirdly more off limits than saying, oh, it's my eight year old self. Let me go tell him that Transformers don't are really weird later when he grows up. Like I <laughs> maybe, maybe I do that. But like the baby, I don't know. That seems very maybe because you're afraid you'll drop the baby and maybe then kill yourself and yeah, i yeah. suppose that that could be it um it was sad when when you were told in your late 20s that transformers were no longer cool but uh you know i, I thought you handled <laughs> it bomb. I, thought, I thought that went well well um, no it was more about that transformers movies came out when i was in my 30s and if eight-year-old me could have known that transformers movies would come out and my reaction would be like eh, these things <laughs> like <laughs> I mean, he would not have believed that. <laughs> okay, but not to derail the podcast, but the original Transformers animated movie had Orson Welles in it, so Shia LaBeouf was just never gonna was never gonna cut that it. movie was great. So tune into our Transformers podcast, uh, yeah, where yeah. We, we analyze the Transformers movie. Um, no, yeah, I think otherwise, I think um, Billy Piper's performance is very strong. We had we had Christopher Eccleston's big sort of performance with Dalek a couple weeks ago, and then I think this is her sort of tour de force. Um, I think she nailed it. She's really good um again it's, it's a little bit 
it's a little better this time in that again you have the doctor's lack of agency right the doctor has a plan he fails um and disappears at the end and it's you know but again you couldn't have the doctor throwing pete in front of the car or something. <laughs> i think the only solution was right. for pete to solve the problem um but you know again it's sort of the, that critique in the early seasons of hey the doctor isn't the one solving all the problems here um uh is you know it continues through this story although um the next one we'll, we'll get to um i think that changes but um no it's it's a good story it's um it's not one i come back to a lot um I think just because it is so emotional and sort of, you know, it is sort of high melodrama. It's not like it's not like a fun sci-fi one where you're kind of like, ooh, the action's cool and stuff like that. It's almost one of those ones, too. I, I mean, I don't know. I almost wish they didn't have the monsters um, that, you know, people just disappeared or bl- like I, I get right, they, they could blink out or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was like the monsters didn't they didn't have many personality. They weren't really a menace other than they just came and swallowed you. Um, and so, that, yeah, it was almost unnecessary. I did like their reason for being because it mm-hmm. felt very ecological. It's like, well, when these time rifts appear, these monsters come and sort of eat around the edges. They're almost like fungus. Like, yeah. So they, they seem very scary in this moment, but they're just sort of like slugs or, you know, they're just okay. they just live around the edges of uh, of of time. Oh, I think you should have been in the writer's room pitching time fungus. It's like, what about time fungus? <laughs> <laughs> time fungus. Mm, okay well we're like gonna put uh, that does it have does it have jaws and go and swoop and kill them no 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 it just slowly <laughs> creeps over them before they know it though yeah right i mean you're i'm sure you're still storyboarding this idea but yeah they, i mean they don't have like agency they're not they're not or i felt like yeah. they weren't sort of there's no agenda they just like they were these animals that just served to come in and clean up these riffs Right. And there's no one to confront or something. Although I think in, in many ways, you know, now that I've been scary, let me walk it back. Yeah, they are scary. But I think another two, it's um, it's it's one of the strengths, I think, of Doctor Who, which is, you know, the enemies aren't always a villain. Right. It's not always like, you know, this was a, a problem with like, you know, uh, later versions of Star Trek movies or or other things where, or Bond movies, too, where everything had, to, you know, they were always trying to find a Goldfinger or a Khan uh, and sometimes that worked and sometimes it didn't but you know it always had to be some bad guy that you were fighting um whereas that's who there's a there's much more variety right it could be uh you know this is just sort of as you say kind of a natural occurrence um or you know it doesn't always have to be some mustache twirling villain that's that's you're plotting against you it can be other kinds of menaces or problems or just mistakes or things that don't work right uh that that, that cause the jeopardy in a story which i think is kind of nice and of course i did love the scene where the uh winged bat beast uh, talked a little bit about his father and kind of broke down crying right before yeah. he was ripping the flesh off of that young boy i thought that was really sweet we really yeah. got to know the 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 time beast uh so they don't return i i would imagine like maybe they would make a cameo in a weird way of like yeah you could have another rift and then these these just show up yeah they they have not returned um uh they could um there is a uh, they they weren't wiped out so (laughs) they they could come back (laughs) um uh we'll see in another uh two seasons the return of a very obscure random monster from like the second doctor's era and just kind of a throwaway so you just never know yes it is right it is possible but um i don't i don't the thing is i don't even think they had names i think they were just I don't think they they even named the monsters, right? It was just they of- they did have a name and a thing. I looked up. Um, let me see. Uh, but as I looked that up, uh, the other thing I did just want to mention is we see a little bit more of, and I don't know if that's this is just this doctor, but his obsession with 
humans, but also with just normal life. He really mm-hmm. loves normal life. He has this nice little scene. And the other guests at the wedding who are pretty inconsequential to the rest of Rose's life. I mean, she doesn't know them. Uh, they, as Doctor Who seems to do often, they go into their lives a little bit and talk about them. And of course, it, the, and I'm speaking to the groom and the bride of the wedding that these people are going to. Yeah. They talk about what they're going through and he, we find out that the bride's actually pregnant. It's a shotgun marriage. Anyway, the doctor has a nice scene with them and the line he says at the end uh, where he's saying, they're saying, well, what does it matter if we die or live? And they say, no, like, you're the most important thing in the world. Like you're just ordinary people. And you can feel that. I'm sure he means that from his perspective of just having seen the whole world, but it also has this wanting quality of like, I wish I was just this. This is amazing. You, you don't realize what you have, that you're just these normal dumbass people. And then he calls them dumbasses and spits on them and walks away. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. It was, it was great. really send a mixed message. No, it's true. Uh, um, and that is kind of a recurring theme throughout the new series is sort of, yes, the ordinary people are, are special people as well. Um, and I also, uh, yeah, as you point out, I think it's great writing both. I think this is both Paul Cornell, the, the writer of this story, but also Russell T Davies, because this is really his skill in that they sort of set up that, these people's lives, the father, the groom, the bride, very quickly, right? In the midst yeah. of chaos. And they just, with a few very quick, careful lines and just some throwaways, give them a whole backstory. Um, and, and you know, and there's a little bit of an arc there, um, which is done with great economy of writing and just really well done, I thought. Uh, the beasts are called the Reapers. Oh, that's and- right. And with that, um, why don't we uh, why don't we move on to our classic episode? So we have the Aztecs uh, all the way back to season one. It's serial six of the original series. It's four episodes. They aired from the 23rd of May to the 13th of June, 1964. So I see your theme here, John May episodes Mm -hmm. that air in May. That's that's why you pick these. Mm -hmm. And we do have a little clip. Of the Aztecs as well. Just a little, a little clip, a little Just cute little classic, classic scene. There'll be no sacrifice this afternoon, Doctor, or ever again. The reincarnation of Yataxa will prove to the people that you don't need to sacrifice a human being in order to make it rain. Barbara, no. It's no good, Doctor. My mind's made up. This is the beginning of the end of the sun god. What are you talking about? Oh, don't you see? If I could start the destruction of everything that's evil here, then everything that is good would survive when Cortez lands. But you can't rewrite history. Not one line. Barbara, the high priests are coming. Barbara, one last appeal. What you are trying to do is utterly impossible. I know. Believe me. I know. Okay, so that was the Aztecs. The Aztecs coming next season on Fox. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to attempt to recount this, and I will say that uh, I'm going to go through this pretty quickly, I think. Um, there's there's other detail here I'm missing, but, you know, uh, read up about the Aztecs, the Aztec people, and <laughs> fill in the blanks. <laughs> on Aztecs. <laughs> uh, the TARDIS arrives in Mexico, but in ancient times. We're here with the first Doctor, Ian, Susan, and Barbara, who are old friends of mine now. I've actually seen them. And Barbara, who's apparently an expert in this era, she's a teacher, so perhaps she's learned in Aztec civilization. Yes, she's a history teacher, but she seems particularly to know a good amount about the Aztecs. They're in a temple or crypt of some kind, and as they begin to explore, they're captured. But the Aztecs see Barbara wearing a bracelet, 
from the crypt and assume her to be an incarnation of one of their gods, Yataxa. So this is very much like C-3PO being worshipped by the Ewoks. Almost exactly the same, yeah. And I think they cribbed it from that, if I, right? Because they went ahead about 10 or 15 years. <laughs> <laughs> well, one of my favorite scenes is the gang is delighted by this. Once the Aztecs leave, they have such a laugh about the <laughs> fact that Barbara is pulling one over on them. And I thought it's really sort of funny. They think it's a real hoot. Barbara is wearing a bracelet because she casually loots a corpse. I mean, that's that's the guy's right. body. And she's just like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, that's takes like it nice. off the corpse and slips it on. So it's they're, they're very casual about this. But sorry. Well, they think it's a real laugh how they pulled one over on these ancient idiots until, gasp, there's going to be a human sacrifice. And Barbara wants to stop it. But the doctor tells her she can't interfere with history, as we just heard. But what if she could improve it? What if she could teach them that human sacrifice is wrong and improve parts of their culture? What if she could prevent them from being murdered by Cortez? She talks about this, you know, all these things. The doctor, not into it. <laughs> not into changing history. Hard path. The Aztecs are more skeptical of the doctor, Ian, and Susan. They they all seem to really be totally in on, oh, she had the bracelet on? Oh, she's got yeah. Great. Love yeah, Barbara. The other three, they're very skeptical of. <laughs> the doctor is essentially placed in an old folks home. <laughs> this little garden is looks lovely. This garden area with other elder folks. And he falls in love with this enchanting yeah. older woman, Kameka. Uh, then Ian, it's funny because this episode, this series of episodes, it's treated very much like a uh, sort of a more of a modern day drama or an ensemble cast of like each one has their own little story and then it comes mm -hmm. back together at the end. But he goes and falls in love with Kameka. Ian is put forth as a warrior and he's forced to battle another warrior for control of the army. He gets by by using some sort of martial arts and a Mr. Spock debilitating <laughs> neck pinch, which is really interesting <laughs> that he knew that. Susan largely stage, stays with Barbara as a handmaiden, but she's also asked to to marry the future human sacrifice. And and it's sorry, guys, she's just not that into him. And yeah. so she doesn't yeah. want to marry the human sacrifice. He's got a lot. Look, if you're about to be human sacrifice, you got baggage, just baggage for miles sure. there. And she's not That's interested. Yeah. There's infighting amongst the Aztecs and a power struggle. There's Otlock, who's the current priest, ruler. He, he's in charge. He's very calm and deliberative. And then there's Tatoxel, who's the priest who runs the sacrifices. And he's trying to run a power play here. He's trying to get his warrior into the place of power. Um, and he is also kind of wise to Barbara not being a god. Or I, I forget if he has proof right away, but he's just very skeptical of it. He doesn't, he's not buying it. Ultimately, Barbara realizes she won't be able to change their culture, <laughs> their entire <laughs> culture. And and the gang plot to get back inside the tomb and to the TARDIS. And the doctor uses a pulley. Go, simple machines. <laughs> and Ian has a big battle with the other warrior who has since kind of befriended him. Otlock, whose mind is blown by everything going on. <laughs> and Kameka, who's in love with the doctor, ultimately give them help and cover to escape. And they do. Honestly, the end is sort of anticlimactic. They just finally get back to the TARDIS and leave. Um, so I probably missed a bunch of details. This was a really interesting episode, but not so much because of the plot, more about kind of how everything was working and getting to dip into Aztec culture. But did I miss anything of note? 
no, I mean, I think you, you covered it. It is a very simple plot, um, but it's it's the dialogue is really well written. It's a really interesting very well written. dilemma. Um, this is written by a guy named John Lucarotti, who really only did uh, some of the early seasons of Doctor Who. He was big. He, he, so as I've mentioned before, so the mandate was in part that the show is going to teach history. Um, right. So that's why while Barbara is desecrating a corpse, she's explaining interesting tidbits about the past. Um, and uh, um, and so, yeah, this was you can definitely see the education mandate here. Um, it's very uh, you know, talking about the dialogue. It's very Shakespearean. Everybody's very, you know, there's, there's you know, Toxel has who's played by a guy named John Ringham, who's very good, um, has, you know, sort of these almost speeches to camera um, several times. And, um, you know, it's actually I, I've I've this is one of my favorite episodes. I've seen it many times, um, but always the first maybe five minutes of dialogue once the Aztecs show up seem very stilted and, and weird. And I think it's just because it is sort of unexpected that they're suddenly coming in, you know, almost Richard III-esque um, dialogue and everybody's kind of stating their intentions and, you know, the the, the baddies are clear. Um, but I think that makes it, uh, you know, again, I mean, once you get used to it, they just accept that this is how the, the story is going. I, I thought their rhythm of speech was, I thought what they sort of attempted to do, what it came across to me is that it sounds like if I transcribed runes, then it would sound like this. Mm-hmm. So it did sound stilted, and obviously they're they're speaking in English. So it sounded sh- stilted and not Shakespearean, but formal and weird. Yeah, stagey. in a way that made sense. It was like, oh, this is how the Aztecs would have talked. This is how we would have heard them talk. They would have had these strange expressions that would have sounded mm-hmm. odd to us. And I thought it just really worked. And more more importantly, maybe than any of it. Who knows how the Aztecs talk? Maybe people do, and maybe this was accurate. It felt accurate, and it was consistent the whole time. Right. They they always talked like this, and you're right. As it went along, at the beginning, it was almost showy to say, we talk in a weird way. This is how it is. By the end, they're getting across plot and emoting, but still talking in this weird way, and it just and you get used to it. And it, it, I thought it was great. Yeah, it's really good. <clears throat> All the performances from the regulars are very good. Particularly Billy, well, William Hartnell as the Doctor, um, and then Jacqueline Hill. Jackie Hill is Barbara. Um, this is definitely her story. <clears throat> She's fantastic. <clears throat> She's fantastic in it. Um, uh, and in that debate that that we showed from the clip is for one of the the great moments in Doctor Who. That that the conflict between them. Uh, you know, you can't rewrite history. One, not one line. And then the, I know, I know. He he delivers that in a way that suggests he's tried or something in the past. Like this is a hard right. learned lesson, um, which I think is great. Um, Ian, as you point out, Ian Ian is a high school chemistry teacher who's a very good warrior. <laughs> this has happened yeah. throughout his time. He he really just settles right into, you know, all right. Well, I'm going to have to hold somebody down for a sacrifice, and I'll. But meanwhile, I'll defeat the warrior to command their army. So he really rolls with things. It is a little funny that that they didn't even speak to it. I feel like, well, I guess it didn't happen when the others were there, but um, that he didn't speak to the fact how did he know this move this little pinch the nerve or whatever he did like even just mentioning maybe he's in the he was in the service or something like that you know well so i i did read a commentary on this and um i do wonder if in the 1960s or being the age he is uh would he have actually gone through national service right they may i, I think they may still have had national service where everybody served right in the military so maybe he did actually have a little bit of training so that that might be something that made perfect sense then um or maybe all chemistry teachers can do that i mean high school is is a rough place um uh i love uh so susan has 
sort of a weird subplot. She was actually a uh, Carolyn Ford was actually on vacation for um, one of the episodes. And, and there's just a part where you just kind of see oh. her alone. That's just pre-filmed and they dropped that in there, but she was away for a while. So that's why she's kind of written out slightly. Um, and yeah, the doctor in love, which I think is a, you know, this is one of those things that um, people in, in is, we go through this in the new series is sort of, well, can he be in love with women? You know, is he, is he a romantic guy? And everybody's like, no, 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 he never would. He, he that's not the character. But then you go back to the first season and the rules just hadn't been established yet. And they were just like, yeah, I'm sure. Why not? He's a person <laughs> be in love with people. And it's a very sweet romance. And he clearly, he really does care for her. I love, I love the ending where, you know, he puts the brooch he gives him down and then he, he starts to walk away and then he turns around and grabs it and walks back in. Like, it's just a lovely little moment that he clearly really did care about this person. So you're implying that they sort of walk away from this type of thing for a few years because I thought it seemed to make total sense. He's, he's this sort of vagabond time traveler going around the world. He's bound, like you said, he's, he is a person he's bound to fall in love and it's more the tragedy of, well, it doesn't matter. He might fall in love, but it doesn't matter because he's kind of on the way pretty quickly. So I'm surprised that that wouldn't be a theme even. Well, I think, I think part of it was, um, you know, so they, if you're going to develop a love story, it would have to be over multiple episodes really. And since he was generally only traveling with really young women, it was going to get creepy, right? (laughs) All right. Oh, here's John Pertwee. He's going to have to, you know, try to romance Sarah Jane, who's 30, 40 years younger than he is. Um, and so, you know, I think maybe that was part of it, uh, the, you know, the only running character. And that that's why I think in the new series, as we'll see, um, it, they they sort of hint at or, or, or dance around the idea of him falling for the companions. Um, and it doesn't, you know, David Tennant and Billy Piper or, or even Chris Reckles and Billy Piper don't seem quite as creepy if you if you don't think of him as nine right, years right. old. <laughs> um, um, and the great thing about the story is they lose. Right. This is a this is a really interesting story in that. A, they lie to everybody. Like so, the, the goodies, Otlock, um, can make a, like she seems to know what somewhat what's going on. And she accepts that he's leaving, but you know, Otlock, she basically just lies to him and betrays him, and then he he yeah. goes to the wilderness. At the end, he said he went off. He left all his possessions and he went off to the wilderness to seek retreat. And they leave with Totoxel in full power, right? He's at the height of his power. The, the sacrifice is going to happen. Uh, you know, the history is going to unfold the way it is. So, and, and it was interesting is that um, if, uh, if we look at the stories that happened sort of before this, some of the, there had been several stories before this, and um, at least in a couple of them, about four episodes in, it looks like they're about to get back to the TARDIS. And then there's some twist that keeps them there for another few episodes. Like, so there hadn't been that many four episode stories, and so, you know, it is kind of interesting. I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but it does seem almost like they're playing with this idea of like people watching. We're going to be like oh, something, you know, Susan's going to fall in a hole or something and they're going to have to stay. And like there's going to be some reason that they because, you know, the bad guy hasn't been beaten yet. They, they don't beat the villain um, and they just escape. Um, uh, and uh, now they just go on. So, again, it's sort of that keeping because because people when these were first went out, people didn't know how long the story was going to be. Right. It was just each, right. the, each episode was an episode and you just didn't know what was going to happen. It was one continuous story. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a dark ending. Um, and, and, but uh, again, it would surprise the audience. I thought that was great uh, because plot wise we've, we have accomplished something, which is Barbara's changed and the others too, but really Barbara's changed where her character, you know, and they're they're still pretty early on. This is the sixth story, so well, I don't know how much is implied, how long they've been here, but regardless, she's 
she clearly still has this instinct that I want to go and fix this. Maybe I can change this. Maybe I can help. And so she's that's what happens in the story. She learns and, you know, the rest of them, too, by being near saying, no, we can't just do that. We can't just go around and just fix this. So once that's done, it doesn't really matter. And of course, the story is actually better served by saying, yeah, all the awful Aztec stuff is still going to happen. And, <laughs> y- you know, and, and and by the way, the only thing that you did by trying to solve all this is you blew this poor guy's mind and <laughs> he's ruined his life. in the woods. Like, <laughs> um, I did think, uh, again, I'm watching this in a funny way. Well, maybe not, but I'm I'm the older episodes I'm watching just in kind of a random order. So this is my first time coming back to see seeing the first actor, but also Ian and Barbara and Susan. And I just thought Ian and Barbara are definitely more comfortable now. And also just because it's the sixth story, the other one I watched was the very first one. Because it's the sixth story, there's elements that were just sort of weird and lame in the first one, which was basically their reactions. They're completely nonplussed by it. Not completely, (laughs) but I didn't buy their reaction to suddenly being in a time traveling spaceship with, you know, this, this scientist. With this, you feel like they've been on a few stories, so it makes sense. It's it's believable that they're kind of just palling around. They're taking things in stride. It all makes sense. So I thought they were great. Definitely Barbara was was really great. Um, Les Susan was great. I didn't really need Susan, so <laughs> happy to have her just fade into the background. You know, bless her heart. But uh, yeah, she's so. a tough character. I mean, it's it's that it's that weird thing with sci-fi where the the young genius right because susan is is his granddaughter so she's technically a time traveler right they never ever mentioned really that his kids again but um uh there is this belief that i don't know i don't know if it's true or not but sci-fi people it's like oh for the young people to relate you're going to need an annoying genius character like it's always (laughs) the character people hate like it's wesley crusher and 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 just people always hate this character but they always put them in and so i don't know maybe younger kids do because you know younger kids like admire kids slightly older than them right so maybe 10 year olds do find these genius characters like as some sort of wish fulfillment uh thing but everybody (laughs) hates them Carolyn Ford (laughs) tries hard she she did get a little bit screwed her character was supposed to be different like she the way it was signed on was she's going to be more alien she's going to be telepathic which was was there's one episode that kind of goes into it but not much she was going to know like martial arts and like she was going to be much more of an interesting adventure you know like uh like um uh, what's her name in avengers um uh, or something you know like a, a much different character and they did sort of the initial pilot and, and scripts and everybody said no <laughs> they took her down and then yeah so she she leaves she leaves at the end of the first season she does not stick around for long she's actually the first companion to leave in in the in the brief bit she's in this and in the first episode she's playing everything so melodramatic um yeah. so she would just she was pretty annoying right at the beginning. Some other notes I had an adorable tiny model of the TARDIS at the beginning, <laughs> yes. uh, which was really cute. The kind of not having seen him for a few episodes when he first came back on screen, it struck me how quite old the doctor really is. The first doctor he's really old. Um, <laughs> they also had some, some, uh, I love the sets and costumes actually. Um, but one thing that was really <laughs> fun to see was just, just a straight up, painting on a cloth yes, for absolutely. several of the backgrounds <laughs> and uh pretty noticeable you could see the draping of the cloth like it was it was pretty clear the cliffhangers were good um 
they kind of find like she's set up as a false god there's you know that that was all a, a good thing um one of my favorite lines that just had a weird english on it was a little horticulture might go a long way. <laughs> it's like, such a strange thing to put put this extra thing onto. Well, and then he and then he comes in. He's he's, he's given he's given Ixta the the poison thing. Ian is fighting him and doing quite well. And then the doctor runs in, grabs Ian, and holds his arm, which is what gives Ixta the chance to stab him with the thing like, to try to warn him. Yeah. The doctor's the one that causes it, which is like it's a little weirdly staged. I felt like it could have there could have been a better way to do that. Um, but uh, yes, tons uh, of <laughs> tons of great lines. Uh, some that I loved was when one's interest is held loneliness never comes love that uh and then uh the a great thing and then is you failed to save a civilization but at least you helped one man she, you know, she helped him by driving him crazy but still yeah, whatever um i, I love then, also i love the um when they're in the throne room with her at one point and he's telling her what's going on and he goes oh i made some cocoa and got engaged <laughs> <laughs> okay john well here on Intump, that's nntp no not the mind probe we are adherents of the repeating themes and we are at the part in the show where we talk about the themes 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 and so we're gonna do that Mm, the first theme we're gonna talk about is time travel stories you wanted to just wax philosophic about that for a little bit I do. So you take a break or go to the bathroom, whatever you need to do. Yeah, I'm just going to kick back, put the old (laughs) feet up, put on some chamomile tea. Um, Yes, I mean, I I, I did pick these stories because obviously – uh, time travel is a, is at the heart of both of them um, and sort of the consequences of time travel, which for a show about a person that travels in time actually rarely happens in Doctor Who. Yes, he <laughs> does. He does go to different times, but like like the um, the Unquiet Dead, the Dickens episode, it didn't really matter. Time, the story didn't center on him on the time travel aspect of it, right? Like that, that it would have been great if they sent back. It's like, it's like you must kill Charles Dickens. Right. <laughs> exactly. um, he, he's ruining everything. He cannot live. Um, yeah. So people so, make so many bad ad- adaptations of his work later. <laughs> we need to put a stop to it. You must stop with our mutual friend um, for some reason. And then have a lengthy lit explanation as to why literally. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, so, so, but, but the past, was a setting right in, in that story and not really an aspect of the story. Um, and I think these episodes actually both illustrate kind of perfectly why that is so rare. So Stephen Moffat later when he's running the show, he does a little bit more with time travel and you can see why it's tough to do because it, there, it, you know, it, there are some things around paradoxes and things like that, that, that it's hard, to, hard to hold up. Um, but yeah, I mean, sort of the two quintessential time travel stories are go back in time and, you know, and, Maybe kill Hitler. I know you're on the fence about that in this episode. No, I'm worried about <laughs> repercussions. I, I, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, we should kill Hitler. We're, we're going to do it. We're, we'll there is. We are pussyfooting around. <laughs> there is a. Uh, there is an episode called "Let's Kill Hitler" in uh, in the later series. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one. But um, yeah. Um, uh, so the, yeah. Wait, wait is that a joke or, or really, no? There really is one. one called "Let's Kill Hitler." It's a very interesting story. Um, yeah, but so you know, go back in time, change some major event, or go back in time and uh, and and. and, and interfere with your own personal history right and both stories have to end 
in the same place. I mean, I, I suppose you could try to have the series where you went back in time and saved Kennedy or killed Hitler or something, but then your president would be all screwed up, right? Or, or you know, how would you explain you know, Rose could suddenly become an, a Nazi or something? Like, you know, like he's like, how does that work? They tend to more so in the new series, but they tend to not really like to need to have to keep track of. Oh wait, yeah, Kennedy shouldn't be around now if we ever go past this, or we have to. They didn't really want to do much of that. It sounded like right. Yeah, the see, continuity to, was not their friend. You have to reset to zero at the end of every episode, which does take the jeopardy out of it a little bit, right? Like, I mean, you know, and again, it's like Barbara couldn't. Maybe, like, maybe the Essex may be towing the line. I, I mean, obviously they couldn't still be around today, but um, uh, you know, it's like the caveman episode. Yeah, they they obviously give them fire, and and that seems like a significant development in human <laughs> history. But um, you know, obviously they, uh, they we don't have Zah Enterprises, you know, today. <laughs> the continuing you know corporation that he founded as the fire starter. Um, but yeah, normally if it's a history that people know about, and it, it's it's a history that people know about that's going to be more interesting because that will create you know it, it is some of that knowledge that you bring to the story that makes it interesting. You have to get back to zero at some point. And so you have to fail or you have to not – your interference has to be very slight or you, you just don't succeed. Now, the, where it can work, uh, and there are some very good episodes where it does this, is if you if you have to um, uh, prevent someone else from changing history, right? Like the plot. You know, someone right, someone right. else is trying to kill Hitler. Uh, and then in, in the classic Let's Save Hitler episode uh, – That's where I'd come in. No, everyone's like – what I come in to say is not so much we're not going to kill her. We might kill Hitler, but let's just think about it first for a little bit. That's my my role. And boy, I hope you aren't up for a position in the Biden administration, because if you are, your confirmation hearing is going to get. We'd like to introduce. No, not the mind probe. You've already had me saving Hitler and like a member of the Proud Boys in another episode. <laughs> forget if that made it into wow. the episode well, what if but... we're up for the i assume we would both be because of our successful broadcasting yeah. careers we would both be up for the voice of america head uh project right become yes. mostly no, no no not the mind probe episodes um yeah so, so there's that that one story and then there's uh then there's the mess with your own family history story right. um and again you have to figure out some explanation as to why um uh, as to why you're, uh, you know, you're still the same person. If, if her father had suddenly been around, you know, maybe she wouldn't have obviously been on the path she was on when he first met her. And so you have to somehow explain that. And obviously there might be ways to do that. Um, there was a, there's a story, uh, it's called the day of the Daleks. Um, and it wasn't, it's interesting. It wasn't until a third doctor, um, where, uh, something they were locked in prison or something. And the companion says, well, wait a second, if we fail, why don't we just go back in time to before this happened and, and fix our mistake? Right. Um, and, uh, and then he, he says, um, uh, there's a, a writer was talking about this scene and he said, uh, he said, well, that, that would ruin the whole series. <laughs> like if you could just do that, it would pretty much be a terribly boring show. Uh, and so the doctor says, ah, well, that's because of the Blinovich limitation effect. And then mercifully is interrupted before he has to explain what that is. <laughs> so there is something, uh, that apparently prevents that happening. But yeah, so, so, um, these are great stories. They're fantastic stories, but I, I argue you could only do them every once in a great while because otherwise they just it just doesn't work, right? Like you can't change history. And that is in fact true. They they don't hit these notes that often. Yeah, I mean, so so you know, they eventually abandoned the pure historical stories after a few seasons because they weren't as interesting as the ones fighting monsters in space. Um, although 
obviously evidence shows that they are very interesting. Right. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, yeah, usually, usually what they did more was, um, uh, you know, they would, they would be back in history at some significant event, uh, and they would be trying to get out of it. Like that was usually the plot. It was like, hmm. Oh no, it's the French revolution. And if we're not going to get guillotined, we need to get back to the TARDIS and they would be separated from the TARDIS. Right. And so they would see, be sort of on the periphery of what was going on. But all they were trying to do was get out of there, which is similar to what's happening uh, in the Aztecs. Like that element stays the same, but it's the, you know, also though you can't interfere with history. Like, again, they aren't really you know trying to make any changes. They're just trying to get out of the way. Well, I guess it strikes me in the way you just, the way you describe it, it essentially could happen once per companion. It's like the companions are either going to have one or both of these instincts and they're going to have to learn it. And then once they've learned it, it's like, I don't, I'm not going to do that again. I'm not going to be like, now let's go visit my grandfather. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, we've done the father. I get it. I don't want to interfere with that. But what about my second cousin? You know, what about the girl who came late to my wedding? Can I do something and sort of change things to make her be on time for the wedding? Or was she eaten by monsters uh, right. before we, coming to my wedding? Which, as right. we discussed, exactly. a common, common problem. Common problem. Um, so, yeah. So, um, uh like I say, it's a series about time travel that really isn't about time travel that often, because as I say, it's it's really difficult to write about it without painting yourself into a corner, right? You've changed too much or you've got a paradox. So let's move on to the second theme. And the theme is the theme of Barbara. Tell, tell, yeah, me, so uh, tell me all about Barbara. Well, um, uh, so she was amazing in Yentl. Uh, she <laughs> <Yeah>. is... <laughs> Did we wait? We should probably have specified. Uh, no, um, uh, Barbara Wright. Um, uh, and it's really hard to talk about her without also talking about Ian, but I'll try to sideline Ian for once. A woman can have the spotlight, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Put uh, on Ian, stuff it. <laughs> played by Jacqueline Hill, uh, who's actually friends with um, Verity Lambert, the first producer of Doctor Who. So obviously, there's, there's uh, obviously she she slept her way at the top. Um, uh, and um, uh, great character, the Barbara character is just a great character, like she sort of is the most grounded. She She's the one who kind of accepts that they've, you know, in the first episode we show, she accepts that they've time traveled pretty quickly and kind of talks Ian down. Um, and, uh, and, and yeah, she's got the, she was meant. So, you know, as I've said, again, the show is meant to be educational. So you had the doctor who was able to talk about the, you know, the, all the time travel and the, the futuristic stuff. You have Ian, who's a chemistry teacher and, uh, you know, is the engineering and science aspect of things. And you have Barbara, who's the history teacher, right? So they each had a function and sort of the And actually, she is more needed, really, right? Because the doctor's a scientist. I mean, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, uh, although he gets more of the techno babble stuff like there's a, a you know, there's there's a, a John Lugardi episode called Marco Polo, which is great, where, um, you know, they're in the uh, they're in the mountains somewhere and um, uh, they are boiling water and the water boils at a lower temperature because it's higher pressure uh, or lower pressure or whatever. And Ian ex is explaining this because he's the chemistry teacher and can explain this to them. It's like a very weird little <laughs> like here's, here's how <laughs> chemistry work. Um, and then Barbara explains, you know, the history of Marco Polo because she happens, Barbara happens to know everything about whichever time period, uh, you know, she happens to land in. Um, oh, so it's not just the Aztecs. She, yeah, yeah. She's very good. And even, I mean, she took a survey course <laughs> of her, maybe, her masters. Well, that, yeah, maybe when I was, uh, maybe when I was in high school, we, I went to a different high school where this wasn't focused. I mean, you both, we and I both went in Virginia high schools, but they didn't spend that much time on the Aztecs. And like, she's, he's like at one point quizzing her no. about like how many heavens there are. And she's just <laughs> rattling it off. And it's just like, that's an impressive high school history teacher. 
Um, but no, she's the most grounded. She's the most willing to call the doctor on his his nonsense. Um, uh, but he's somewhat antagonistic toward her. Yeah. Yeah, and he and they go. He softens, and they go back and forth. Um, it's always sort of a prickly relationship because this is another thing. Sort of the running themes throughout the, with the Barbara and Ian time is they want to go home, right? Uh, they they right. would they they were kidnapped, um, and and the doctor can't get them home, uh, and so they're you know every once in a while their irritation kind of boils over at this fact, and uh, um, and so yeah, there's there's some tension back and forth between them. Um, which is, and she know, has a romance with Ian. I think you told me before. Yes, never, never, never too overtly. Like, I mean, there's not like a sex scene, in the, <laughs> which would be oh, really man. out of place. But um, <laughs> she, yes, there's a lot of flirtation, and they leave the show together. And it's hinted that uh, in you know, sort of the subsequent fiction, and and actually in a very in a Sarah Jane adventures, very much later, they they were married. She, we don't see them, but. She talks about how she's been in touch with different people who travel with the doctor who ended up back on Earth. And yes, they were married. So And by um, hinted you mean they released as a spinoff a hardcore porno with Ian and Barbara, <laughs> yes. right? Right? That's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, you know what the fans want. Um given it's the internet, I'm sure there's slash fic about this. I, I have no <laughs> doubt about that. But I'm not going to put into my Google machine <laughs> Ian not. Barbara slash fiction. I will not <laughs> I will not do that. It's best not. But it is, I, I think they're both interesting characters because you don't get I, I, pretty much after them. Everybody is younger, right? Like I, I, and right. I, they're probably William Russell and Declan Hill aren't that old, but they they have a sort of fifties ish quality to them that makes they them seem middle aged. Yeah, yeah, and they're sort of authority figures, and everyone else the Doctor travels with for the most part is is in their twenties um, or younger, and they're or men, you know Turlo is supposed to be very young, even though he appears to be about thirty five. <laughs> um, right, but uh, yeah, he said he's supposed yeah. to be fifteen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and um so yeah so it, it's it's definitely a very different dynamic um uh for them and nobody else uh, you, you just don't get it because uh, yeah there there is sort of maturity to them they are also you know they can also take on sort of this leadership role right, right? i mean i think the companions are always going to be somewhat subservient to the doctor in many ways i'm not sure you would have too many other companions that could do what barbara does here and sort of defy him right and sort of say no i'm i'm a god goddess and i'm going to take this on um and uh yeah you know it is it is weird right that it's a kid show and they're like ah the audience identification figures the the, the people the kids are gonna love are their high school <laughs> science and history <laughs> teachers like that's who they're gonna like um but they're also they're i think they're played by great actors and they are they are you, the show just never quite does anything like it again which is what makes them kind of neat characters to follow there we, we actually have another one with them coming up because I, I front-loaded some of the first season <laughs> so and, we'll see them right. again coming up but uh, yeah it strikes me that um it strikes me that like kids obviously got into doctor who because of the daleks but there's probably also a legion of fans of high school teachers who are like <laughs> yes finally <laughs> Ian's cardigans Ian's cardigans are amazing. <laughs> John, there are... Uh, John, how are you doing, John? <laughs> there are over 295 Doctor Who stories. Did you know that? There are. There are over 295. So we've actually confirmed this. I know there's been subject of much debate in earlier uh, podcast yeah. episodes, but we've confirmed the number now? We've confirmed that. All right. Good. We've ranked 12 of them, mm-hmm. and it's time 
to rank two more. Uh, so I'll start off, and I will say that these were my two favorite we've watched so far. You put them in the same same episode. You you yeah. paired two of the worst ones <laughs> a few episodes ago with um, God. I don't even remember the names of them. The uh, Vengeance on Varos. Vengeance on Varos. I know you. And, and I I didn't like Dalek, but um, mm-hmm. I know all 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 you nerds did. Mm-hmm. Well, this nerd didn't, but I loved Father's <laughs> Day in Aztec. I would put Father's Day at the top um because it was such an emotional show and to your point uh the it was very well done in that i don't need to see this story again uh, this type of story for probably a while but they made they really made use of it you got to know a ton about rose i'm impressed more and more by by jackie who i really kind of didn't think was that great and has is is really great um the doctor does a lot here too it's just a touching story. What if you could go back and do this? What would you? They find a way, as you said, the plot itself goes nowhere. You can't do anything. It won't happen. And you kind of know that from the beginning. And yet they use it to just drive a bunch of things. I thought it was great. Aztecs, I thought, was my favorite of the older Doctor Who's I've watched so far, just because I was really just engaged and interested and bought into, well, what if they were wow we were great to seeing what it would be like to live among the aztecs and then the plot was also interesting of wrestling with whether you can change the change the past and affect the future and then i did like the little threads of plot lines it was just you know great across the board and the only thing i don't love about the companions really is susan I'm not crazy about her so there wasn't a lot of her so great um so i put it up there above father's day at the top then then the aztecs um and I did one switch I wanted to mention, which is in thinking about it more, I really did like I have a lot of the newer ones up near the top. And but I flipped. I had the alien invasion duo aliens in London, World War Three uh, next in line. It would have been third. But I've switched the unquiet dead above it because I, I, I do really enjoy that episode more, especially getting away from it kind of. So, yeah, anyway, I flipped those. But but yeah, these are these were the top two I've watched. See, I feel like we should I feel like we should have to stick with our rankings as done. And then when we re-edit these into special editions in, in <laughs> OK, all right, then you can re Oh, that's interesting. So when we do special editions, we'll keep the same episodes, but then we'll comment on the episodes. And then that will so. also allow us to because I thought we could also just re-record like rewatch every single one again and record new episodes again. Well, I'm, I'm already <laughs> doing that. <laughs> All right. So what are your um, ratings? Yeah. Uh, so yes, uh, I, I'm in pretty close agreement here. Um, I do put uh, father's day sort of smack in the middle of, well, not smack in a little bit in, in our, my cluster of new series episodes. I, I put it below yeah, about the higher end of, like, of yeah, the new series. The higher end. Um, I do think it's very well done. Um, as I say, it's not one I could, come back to very often um which right. you know rewatchability is my it's a big factor for me oddly enough i know but um yeah I, I, but I, it's a strong episode and it's one that definitely maybe part of the reason that it's, i don't have to rewatch it much is because it does stick with you right that the the emotion of it the themes of it it, it does stick with you um and and as you say the plot isn't particularly complicated it's not like you have to rewatch it to really get the you know the intricacies of the carvings in the church or something like that, that is significant so um <laughs> So, yeah, so I put that at number five. Uh, and then I, I do, of all the ones we've watched so far, I do put the Aztecs at number one. Um, I do think it's 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 one I've watched many, many times. Um, 
It was one that uh, I'd read the book when I was a kid before I saw the episode. I was actually surprised oh, the episodes wow. existed. Uh, and I'd read the book, and the book was a bit slow. Uh, John Lugratti's, and I was probably pretty young to, to be reading it at the time, too. Um, but the book was a bit slow. So I was surprised when I finally saw it uh, just how, how good it was. And I, and I do think it is it is down to the performances. Uh, and, and that scene that we, we sort of showed, uh, showed played an excerpt of uh, is is often considered by many Doctor Who fans to be one of the best uh, sort of acting scenes for one of the classic scenes that spells out sort of the Doctor's mission in some ways too, right? Or, or the rules, a significant rule of time travel, which they don't break particularly often. Um, so yes, I think uh, Aztec's number one at the moment, um, that eking out, I know you'll be upset, eking out your your favorite Curse of Fenric. Um, but, I'm uh, clearly going to have to like rewatch Curse of Fenric <laughs> at some point and and... It's it's only after seven or eight times watching it that it yeah. really clicks, um, which Good. is what they were going for when they. Made it. <laughs> well, I, I have two young kids, so I have all sorts mm-hmm. of time to watch that about seven or eight mm-hmm. times. Mm-hmm. Um, hey, John, your if kids people watch the same thing over and over again, so. that's true. That, that is true. They do have all sorts of time. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna come in to really start to love the Curse of Fenric. They're like, you gotta sit down. You have to understand. <laughs> we need to adjust it. The Russians are actually the 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 friend here, and there's just Ace the wolves a, of Fenric. See, they're wolves. Dora Explorer, really. So that's that, yeah. John, if people want to see these rankings, which you will soon learn how to update yourself mm. on our website, or if they want to give us feedback, they can go to mindprobe.show. Mm-hmm. And they can see uh, the old episodes. We're going to start to put up maybe some notes. And they can get in touch with us if they'd like by contacting me on Twitter. I'm at Porter Mason. I would love to hear use the hear from you. And you can use the hashtag I watch no not the mind probe. So won't you please respond to me? I know that will take up most of your 230 characters, mm-hmm. but I, I would appreciate that so I can sort those. Right. Um it's and easy. and it's easier that way. What do we have in store for our next episode? Well, first, I, I do want to send a shout out to another oh, yes. prober, um, uh, to your wife, who I, I don't know if we're naming people not associated with the podcast for privacy. So Mrs. Probe or, or Probina. Probina. Happy birthday uh, to her. I'm, I'm placing this at the, she just had a birthday. I'm placing it at the end of the podcast um, because she probably listens all the way through to these. Um, I know. She I know may never hear this. Yes. Does not. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, happy birthday to you! It was recently your birthday. Thank as you. Well. Yeah, that's really what I was fishing for. Um, so yes, <laughs> our our next episode uh, is going to be uh, another uh, double of the new series, "The Empty Child" and "The Doctor Dances." The arrival of uh, the great Stephen Moffat to Doctor Who in, in one of the strongest episodes of this, or stories of this first season. Uh, it's a two parter, and then uh, in classic Who, we go back to the fourth Doctor uh, and the face of evil uh and it's a fourth doctor and we meet the character of leela uh, so that'll be a new companion to me so that is that is next time on numt 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 john we've gotten to the end of the podcast and if you don't mind me saying i think i saved your life with this one yes there's now a man alive in the world who wasn't alive before an ordinary man that's the most important thing in creation The whole world's different because you're alive. An ordinary man, John. You're just an ordinary, regular, nothing special guy. That's you. You're just a boring, basic, simple man, John. Just a run-of-the-mill, dime-a-dozen, no-talent hack. John Grant, a dirty, 
lousy piece of ordinary human filth, a stinking, rotten, lying. Did I mention no talent? I'll say it again. No talent, <laughs> waste of air and food and time and space. That kind of got away from me. But the point remains, yeah. you're uh, the most important thing in human creation. I mean, I think I think my response would have been, hey, screw you, buddy. You're not even invited to this wedding. <laughs> Come in and call me an ordinary person. <laughs> you're just a nothing. You're just a very important nothing. <laughs> it's my wedding day. <laughs> I would like my buffet plate back from you, sir. <laughs> um, I'm going to pause this thing because there's a dog barking. Can you hear that? No. Right, I'm just I don't know. If it's chunky. <laughs> The dog is not attacking Kim, is it? Like, is Kim wrestling on the floor? <laughs> You're just like, She's quiet fine. down out here. We're podcasting. She's fine. <laughs> She's a fighter. She's a fighter.